There wasn't a very easy way to uh, evaluate the various ID vendors. It's like, yeah, let's turn on a bunch of them. How do we truly know which ones are contributing to the bottom line? Um, I have heard from a few companies that they're attempting to kind of solve that or make that easier for publishers in uh, in 2024. So we'll see how that goes. But I mean, it's uh, we're cutting it pretty close. Welcome to Blood, Sweat, and CPMs. I'm your host, Kurt Donnell. Believe it or not, today marks our final episode of 2023, in which I had the pleasure of speaking with Radko Vitakovich. Radko is best known as the founder of AdProfs, an independent research and advisory firm focused on the ad tech industry. His newsletter, This Week in Ad Tech, is read by over 12,000 industry professionals, including many top executives. His expert commentary has been quoted by the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, Financial Times, CNBC, eMarketer, AdWeek, and many others on various ad tech topics. Prior to AdProfs, he held leadership roles in product management and marketing at SiteScout and Basis Technologies, specifically for advertising products like DSPs and ad servers, taking them from idea to market. Radko was the perfect guest to reflect on this interesting year we're leaving behind us and offer some insights into what 2024 may have in store. So grab a snack and let's dive right in. Radko, thank you so much for joining me today, man. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Well, as usual, let's dive in and understand your journey in this crazy programmatic universe of ours. How did you find yourself here? What's your background? Run us through it all. Uh, sure. So uh, my background is actually in IT. Uh, so that's how I kind of started my career, working in technical support and then later in systems administration, uh, things like that. But then on the side, I was creating websites, building websites uh, for myself and for other people. And uh, one of the websites that I created was a site for Toyota owners. And that uh, kind of started my journey as a, as a publisher, kind of, kind of by accident and uh, selling ads on my site. Um, that was kind of how I really kind of got into it, into the, into the whole world of digital marketing and you know, building traffic and SEO, all those sorts of things. Um, and then later on kind of transitioned to uh, a media buyer after I sold that site and uh, you know, kind of running campaigns across like early social, like MySpace, Facebook ads, uh, those sorts of things, as well as display. Nice. Um, so I just sort of started as a publisher about 20 years ago. And then migrated into your current business, maybe share just a little bit with the audience on what you're working on these days. Uh, yeah. So I kind of, uh, from there, I kind of transitioned over into, into the ad tech world by uh, helping start a company called SiteScout, which was an ad server for advertisers, and then kind of quickly transitioned into a DSP. Uh, so okay. uh, led marketing and then later product uh, at the uh, sort of at the DSP. We got acquired by Centro, which is Basis Technologies sure. today. And uh, spent a few years there helping kind of refine the product and bring it to uh, more of a mid-market audience. Uh, and then I left uh, Basis to start AdProfs, and that's where I am today. Uh, AdProfs is uh, mostly a consultancy in it focused on purely ad tech. And so I'm probably most known for um, the newsletter called This Week in Ad Tech. Uh, but aside from that, uh, I work with clients uh, across kind of across the board, mostly ad tech companies, but also trade groups and investors and, and, and other, um, other entities, but it's usually around like product and marketing support, um, kind of helping them think through their new products, strategy requirements, documents, roadmaps, that kind of stuff. Um, as well as, uh, on the investor side, more around 
business evaluation, due diligence, uh, things like that on, on behalf of uh, institutional investors. I will say the newsletter is how I first became aware of you and it's fantastic. I will give you the big plug right here. Everybody should absolutely subscribe. Adprofs.co, I think, is the website where they can go subscribe. Is that correct? Yeah, adprofs.co or .com. They both work. They both work. Okay. I'm on your website currently right now and it was uh, .co. So I was going that route on this. It's a very impressive client base you have and a very interesting perspective. This is our last episode of the year. And I think you're a very fitting guest because you get to see all the elements of the industry. Like you said, I think there's been some pretty big themes throughout the year. Obviously the cookie deprecation hanging over all of our heads. I think it's been beat to death, but we can maybe touch on privacy sandbox a little bit. I think the supply path optimization piece of things, and then sort of the the corollary there with sustainability, I think MFA, all of those things have been big. Um, digging in a little bit specifically, I guess, kind of on the supply path optimization side, it felt like at the beginning of the year, the idea was, hey, publishers work with very, very few bidders, don't ever duplicate bids, nothing, sustainability is everything. And then there's been a little bit of chatter of like, yeah, yeah, but we're supposed to make money and making money requires sending more bid requests out sometimes. What's your take on that as you're talking to folks, or at least the sentiment you're hearing from your publisher clients? Yeah, so it's uh, it is it is a, a, a tricky issue because by by all metrics, um, you know the publishers are doing it for a reason, right? Like publishers have an incentive to, uh, you know, work with multiple, uh, not just multiple exchanges, but also multiple wrappers. Uh, tends to make more money uh, in general, and that's you know one of the primary concerns of being a publisher. So. Um, that's why publishers do it. And on the other side, you have um, efforts like, you know, SPO, but also uh, sustainability, which, um, you know, long story short, attempt to kind of create more efficiency or force more efficiency. But, you know, one, one phrase that sticks in my mind that I heard even, you know, back in the back in the site scout days, which is like over a decade ago, but, you know, one person's efficiency is another person's revenue. And so, uh, yes. you know, you, cause you, you, even when we're going back to just the topic of like direct buys, cause that was the big topic back in the day was, is all this programmatic stuff going to be cannibalizing my direct buys? And everyone was saying, oh, but programmatic is more efficient and, and, and all of that. Right. But really it's the same deal, right? The, the programmatic stuff was more efficient, but it came at the cost of, uh, publisher revenue. So, um, I think it's a similar thing where it's very easy for anybody to say, yes, get rid of 99% of your partners, you know, reduce your carbon score, you know, by 90%, you, you, you'll get a big gold star, but then what's the actual impact on your revenue? And I think that's the, that's the part of the conversation that I don't think gets a lot of uh, attention. I've noticed that gold stars don't really help you make payroll a lot. And well, you know, on the margins, and I should say this, not that at Freestar particularly, we don't care about that. We do everything though, very much through the lens of efficiency. And I think it's a balance. And I think every publisher needs to strike that. And we've been doing a lot of work with different SSPs. I won't name names, but it's interesting their views on send us everything you can under the sun, multiple different ways versus other ones are like, no, shape the traffic a little bit before it gets to us. Curious if you've run into that from, I don't know, the demand side or anything, what you're hearing and what you think advice we can give to publishers is here, even if it's only the next three to six months. Yeah, it's a, it, it's a tough one because I, I, I'm not sure if there's any like quick tips per se, because everything involves a trade-off. Um, 
And so it really comes down to whether, um, whether advertisers actually adopt it as a, as a, as a currency or as a, um, as an important buying metric, right? Cause that's, that's ultimately kind of what it comes down to. If, if, you know, I've spoken to publishers, uh, sort of in private that, um, have say that they've done all the right stuff and they've, you know, cleaned up and they've gotten the gold star and they've, you know, done with all the things that they, uh, felt like they were supposed to do, but they just aren't seeing the, uh, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Yeah. Um, so, um, I, I think it's still very, very early days, uh, for all of this stuff. And, um, I also think it's, it's far from standardized as well. Cause there's so many companies that are attempting to kind of be the, uh, you know, the, the ruler, the measuring stick for, for sustainability. And I think there, that's also far from finalized and it's, you know, there's, there's uh there's a whole conversation about whether that should be a kind of open source and free and, sure. you know, should companies even be, you know, paying for that? Should that be a commercial enterprise to like buy sustainability data? So um, there's a whole bunch of like you know, rabbit holes would go down for around the sustainability stuff. But I, but I do think it's uh, um, it's, it's not black or white. Uh, and especially if you're thinking about it from a publisher perspective, uh, it could be, it could be pretty startling because like you said, you know, making payroll uh, kind of important. Yeah. It, it's pretty useful in running a business. I've noticed your employees want to get paid on time. Yeah. That, that happens. I do think the publishers are in a bit of an unenviable position right now where the sustainability stuff is being pushed to them, but the pipes don't frankly even work well enough to make it happen. I mean, in certain instances, you send something server side, it has a much different reaction than what you see client side. And, but buyers are looking at different signals both ways. So it's hard to say, Hey, publisher, you clean this up when the pipes in between don't work. And they don't, you know, it's not that you can easily be more sustainable and see the same results. And yet the publisher is supposed to do this in a world where Facebook and Twitter are sending 60% less traffic and all those things. I just, you know, the publisher world is, is tough right now. I certainly feel for them and, you know, upcoming here, I think 2024, one way or another will be the year of cookie deprecation, not to go down that too, too far, but I know you've dug in pretty deeply on these things. What's your take on sort of the privacy sandbox and the evolution of that? And maybe what publishers should be thinking of on that side of things? Yeah. So, I mean, there's, uh, there's, there's definitely, uh, reasons to be optimistic. There's also reasons to be concerned. Uh, I think it's, uh, from just from what I've seen, it's it's very complicated, uh, very complicated the way it works. I've only recently seen some actual details about how the whole um, like protected audiences API um, kind of workflow works. And uh, one of one of the commentators, uh, I don't know if you know, you know, happens in AdOps. Um, don't I maybe yeah. a new follow here? Yeah. So he's uh, you know he's he always has good. Uh, Good jokes, but he basically posted a picture of the uh, of the workflow for protected audiences, and was like, "What the fresh hell is this?" Because <laughs> it's it's it really is, it really is like you have to uh, you have to study it uh, incredibly closely, and it also raises all kinds of questions about like it, it seems to me like my understanding is that it's a separate infrastructure. It's a completely mm -hmm. it's a parallel infrastructure that's happening alongside RTB. So. If we're going back to you know the question of you know sustainability, bid duplication, all these sorts of things, efficiency, um, I mean that's going to create a burden for for DSPs if they're listening, if they're already listening to the entire bid stream, and now they have this entire new stream of bids that are, that's coming in that's non-standard, 
right? It's non-RTB and they have to evaluate it alongside RTB impressions. Um, I mean, it's, it's kind of no surprise that there's like some pretty notable uh, holdouts from the whole testing uh, process. Like, yeah. You know, Trade Desk and others. You don't you don't see them on the on the list of testers. And um, you know, after hearing you know some of Jeff Green's comments on earnings calls, you know, it's it's kind of no surprise that that they're that they're missing. But um, but outside of that, I I think you know one of the areas that I do think is kind of a reason to be optimistic is um, in in one area where I think there could be one potential win for publishers is kind of control over who's able to create audiences. Um, through mm-hmm. at least at least through the protected audiences API. Um, so my understanding so far is that publishers will have the ability to control which entities are able to create audiences um, through the protected audiences API, which could potentially solve the the kind of longstanding data leakage issue that you know publishers have been dealing with ever since uh, you know the beginning of you know the industry as we know it. But you know, beyond that, I think there's still lots of uncertainty. Uh, to a lot of people, it feels half baked. Like the the actual solutions feel half baked. Oh yeah, they feel complicated. Um, there's you know limited number of testers, and yet you know one percent of Chrome users are going to be turned off from third party cookies in you know a few weeks. So a few weeks, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Happy New Year's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting year. Uh, to say the least. Uh, but yeah, I think that's going to be the primary, um, you know, the primary focus of 2024 is kind of watching that entire drama unfold um, and and how companies are, you know, that and that's the one thing that I'm probably most interested in is watching how companies adapt to it uh, because it's such a multifaceted, uh, multifaceted thing. Like there's, you know, even setting aside privacy sandbox, you know, there's all the non-Google solutions ID solutions, clean rooms, measurement, contextual, like. How do you think that shakes out? I mean, I think there's something, my numbers are probably off here, 65 or 75 supported ID solutions in pre-bid right now. Like the buy side doesn't need 75 different solutions. It feels like it has to come down to some subset, but it's not clear yet what those are, which puts publishers or, you know, us and we test them all and, and learn some, but in this awkward position where. How do you know which one of the 75 are great? Maybe it's not really that many, but there's a bunch, you know, how does that play out? Yeah. I mean, that was one of the, uh, that was one of the big takeaways uh, or themes from the pre-bid summit back in October was that publishers felt um, and published representatives like yourselves felt that uh, there wasn't a very easy way to uh, evaluate the various ID vendors. It's like, yeah, let's turn on a bunch of them how do we truly know which ones are contributing uh, to 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 the bottom line? Uh, that's not very clear. Um, I have heard from a few companies that they're attempting to kind of solve that or make that easier for publishers in uh, in 2024. So we'll see how that goes. But I mean, it's uh, we're cutting it pretty close. And it's something we've built internally is sort of an entire identity provider testing framework so that we can isolate the things because, like you said, if you're running a bunch of different things concurrently, who who provided the lift, all of them sort of claim the lift when you try to pin them down on exactly what it was, where it was, all of a sudden the statistics get a little fuzzier and it's harder to get the uh, true attribution to who drove what. So I think a lot 
a lot to shake out there yet again. Maybe maybe my year in review is I feel for you publishers. It's tough on the traffic side. It's tough on you're supposed to be sustainable. And I can't tell you who to go work with on the identity side either. Yeah, going no, on there. <laughs> it's definitely not an enviable place to be. Um, and then there's also the whole the whole uh, subset of ID solutions that are um, at least partially dependent on things like IP addresses. And then those mm -hmm. are also, you know, in question now with what is it, uh, IP protection in Chrome, that's kind of being experimented with. So you know, there's a whole lot of uh, uncertainty around uh, even like which ID solutions are going to be long-term durable. So even just setting sure. aside the short-term lifts, uh, which ones are which ones are going to work long-term. So yeah, I think it's uh, that that's going to be a big uh, area of, of, of focus for 2024. Well, and potentially wildly divergent legislative themes around privacy across the world, or even just different U.S. states and things. Yeah, it's just a a bizarre market there. You do have an interesting view of working with publishers and also investors. Maybe just share just a couple, I don't know, what are your notes on the M&A market right now? We don't get a lot of folks that have visibility to that. Obviously, it seemed like a slower M&A market. Are you still getting calls to help on that side of things? Should, I don't know, what's your take on that, if you can share anything? Yeah, uh, so I am I am here or there, uh, here and there, but uh, not as much as last year or 2021. Those were Kind of the years of there's a lot more exuberance there was a lot more interest in ad tech companies uh now i would say it's more uh you know just companies that are looking for an exit one way or another so there it's more so appealing to uh, uh private equity uh investors that are you know looking for a good deal looking for uh, companies that have uh have cash flow and so forth so they're they're evaluating companies you know based on their usual um playbooks but they're also not really ad tech experts. And so they, they work with their typical consultants, right? Their Deloitte's and the sure. Accenture's and stuff, but then they also bring in um, sort of subject matter experts like myself, just to give them an opinion on, you know, how durable their businesses are, uh, how third-party cookie deprecation going to affect their business. Like, is it uh, how, what's the shelf life of this business and, and should they be concerned? And is it, is it a good investment? So that's kind of the questions that, uh, that, that I get asked, but, uh, Hope that provides some light. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's in line with everything that we've heard and seen. It feels like there's been a bit of a bid ask spread difference between buyers and sellers here. Buyers ready for a you know pretty good discount. A lot of sellers still have a couple years ago's valuations pretty top of mind, and it's made it a little bit of a tough M and A market. You know, we've certainly looked at buying additional companies and have held off here for the last year or so. It'll be interesting to see how that shakes out, and then even from the private equity side, with interest rates being what they are, it makes it cost of capital higher for them. And so they got to find even better businesses to get their return. It's just a, an interesting market on that side. I guess switching gears a little bit, but staying on the consulting side, I know you get brought in often to work with product and engineering teams to, I don't know, not necessarily be the tiebreaker for them, but if there's divergent thoughts, you can give some ideas. What are the topics you're seeing coming up inside of product and engineering teams or just the businesses you consult with right now as they look forward to 24? Sure. Uh, yeah. So I, so I often get brought in as like an outside voice, um, just to, uh, you know, maybe break up a little bit of the group think, uh, that's the sort of happening internally. Um, but I th I'd say one of the, one of the common themes sort of consistently is around differentiation, uh, how to, you know, cause the, no, no company wants to feel like they're a commodity, um, especially on the, you know, DSP, SSP side, uh, and, and other players. And so, they're always looking for an edge. They're looking towards the future. 
uh, where are the opportunities, what can they build? And uh, one of the most consistent questions that I've been getting uh, in recent months has been around AI. So, mm -hmm. you know, how much of it is, is hype? How much of it is real? What are the various applications of it? Can it, can it be applied to things like creative and optimization and uh, other things? So um, that's been a very kind of fascinating topic to, to, to talk about, think about. So I guess to answer that question, how much of it is hype, how much of it is real? And I, I ask this from a company we just won uh, the, I guess the inaugural Adweek AI tool of the year award, which we're very proud of. I will say maybe it's not pure AI. It's some very, very good machine learning, but I think there's a lot of elements to this and these terms have kind of gotten thrown around interchangeably over time. I think they were misused for a long time. There was a while, I don't know, four or five years ago, whenever I saw somebody's investment deck and it was like AI, ML, I'm like, oh my gosh, buzzword bingo. What are we doing here? But what's your take on, on the reality of it and people that are using it well, or maybe not even people, but applications of it? Yeah, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think the term was was soiled a little bit uh, in the past. Uh, I think of companies like Rocket Fuel that that really leaned on on phrases like artificial intelligence and big data at the time, and you know, kind of all the buzzwords that kind of investors want to hear. But uh, yeah, I think I think now um, there's a lot more substance to it. Uh, there's been a lot of advancements uh, over the last 12, 24 months. Uh, and so it's, it's definitely come a long way and it's probably fair to say that like most of it is, you know, to your point, like machine learning, but it's, yeah. it's, uh, I guess it's more fashionable to say AI now, but anyways, it's, uh, there, there's definitely a lot of applications that I think recently there, uh, who was it? Google, Google released a, a creative, an AI powered mm -hmm. creative, uh, tool for performance max. I think it was, um, I haven't actually played around with it or seen it, but um, it, it moves so fast that if you asked me this question a couple of months ago, I would have said, uh, I don't know about the creative stuff quite yet. Yeah. Like it's just from what I've seen and what I've played around with, it seems to have trouble with like basic things like text and, you know, like the whole fingers uh, issue and stuff like that. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. you know, you can't really have a spokesperson with like seven fingers. Um, but uh, but I do think it's getting there and there's, and it seems like they're, they're kind of ironing out some of those wrinkles. So um, I think that part is um, probably coming, but where I think it's already very um, useful and very applicable is just in, um, I think, personal productivity across the workforce. That's like, I think it can be yeah. infused. It can be infused everywhere. It can be infused in reporting today. It can be used for contextual today. Um, and I think it can also be used for, um, sort of algorithmic bidding. So mm -hmm. just being, being, a bidding in a much more kind of machine learning, uh, centric way, as opposed to just, uh, trying to manually, uh, kind of pull all the levers, which has kind of been the historical way of, uh, of media buying, right? Like I want this country, sure. I want to pay this much. And these are all the different, you know, user agents and stuff that I want, but, in reality, I think uh, it's probably superior to have a machine just like look at everything and apply statistics to it. Yeah, we've integrated a bunch of different spots in our business. And I always say, you know, let's let the machines do the things that machines are really good at. And then we'll let the people do the things people are really good at. And I think whether it's ML or AI, it really lets people exceed human potential because you can get a load of data or better decision making done that a human maybe I guess technically could do, but it's just not a good use of time. 
if there's things that machines are inherently not going to be good at, which is often the people side of the business or the decision-making and that stuff. And we've really leaned in on it in sort of the tech side and our auctions and various things. We are, as you said, leveraging a little bit in how we can power information getting to our teams and stuff. We got some interesting betas of using AI to help answer questions quickly instead of digging through Confluence docs or various things. There's ways you can surface data. So really excited about the applications of it. It's certainly not the end-all be-all, but I'm with you that over the last six or eight months, it's changed to be a lot more useful. To your point on the the uh, visuals thing, I saw it was ridiculous, but it was like a, a fake finger attached to a ring that you could like wear on your hand. So that when we took a picture of you doing something you didn't want, you could just blame AI that it was made up. So maybe yeah. we got physical things to trick the uh, the camera back into being AI or something. <laughs> but yeah, and then and then you know, kind of uh, you know, we 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 briefly mentioned like MFA. Um, earlier in our conversation, I think it's, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's going to be a, it, it creates a potential for a whole new wave of, you know, truly, you know, automated made for advertising content that mm-hmm. probably won't look that bad, probably won't uh, sound that bad. And, you know, it's, uh, it will make it harder and harder to distinguish, uh, like what truly is MFA versus not. Um, so, you know, just from a pure cost perspective, if you can create content and images and stuff at a fraction of the price, then the whole arbitrage scheme becomes a lot more attractive. Yeah. I, I'm not close enough to know any details. So I won't throw anybody under the bus, but a pretty notable sports publisher, I think just got nailed with that a couple of weeks ago, made up authors and content and everything. It's like, Oh, and that's a reputable brand. We all know that there's some shadowy characters unfortunately in this industry and i can't imagine where that's going to be leveraged for the people that are perhaps a less lesser moral standard i suppose yeah no absolutely and uh and i think i think one of the uh casualties of just all the mfa the drive towards kind of rooting out mfa is uh is likely going to be smaller publishers right like the ones that mm-hmm. aren't they're not engaging in arbitrage they're probably using a um, a free star or raptive or someone and yeah. they're just uh they don't want to be caught in the you know inclusion list collateral damage or sure you know other things like that yeah i didn't prep you on this one but I, this has turned out to be our year in review i have to ask what's your outlook next year for cpms or seasonality does it get back to normal we saw strange seasonality this year some very good some very bad what's your what's your official take i mean i think the bright the bright side, the, the only bright side that I really see is the is the election. Mm-hmm. Out, outside of that, it seems like it's probably going to be pretty volatile. Uh, Q1 is not going to be, uh, I mean, Q1 typically is not, uh, not a terrible. very, it's, it's always terrible, yeah. Um, but then you layer on like the 1% cookie deprecation and various testing and then economic headwinds and it's... Uh, I don't know. I don't want to be like, I don't want to sound like a bummer, but I, I, I can't, uh, I can't kind of think of it yeah, no, I mean, too it's... much um, that, that would kind of fuel higher CPMs or, or give a good reason for there to be uh, higher CPMs. Um, what, I don't know, what do you think? I don't think you're being a bummer. I think you're being very realistic. I think it is still a time of economic uncertainty. I think we've got now two major wars going on in the world right now that are interesting. I do think that the political spend could buoy some things, but in this higher interest rate environment, things like auto will probably stay out of the market a little bit. I anecdotally know some folks in the auto business and 
things aren't great for them right now. And so I think it's tough. I don't think it's going to be the cliff by any means. And, you know, the eternal optimist in me believes sort of the soft landing of the economy is actually happening, but it also means a slower, you know, settling in versus there's some, we hit the bottom and it bounces right back up situation. Um, your take here did not help me wrap up my budget that I'm working on right now, which, which feels like I'm just throwing darts at an imaginary dartboard. I have no idea where it is in the room on CPMs, but I would say traditional seasonality has been challenging to forecast. We've seen things this year that have never happened, both positive and negative. So it's tough, mm. I think, for publishers to budget. I think on a long enough horizon, things, you know, of course, are always okay, but I think it's an interesting and challenging time to forecast. I don't think it's all bad and maybe flat is the new up as people like to say for next year but we will yeah. see i do think the political spending will help though i mean that is one tailwind that we've got that pumps a bunch of cash in and i guess to ad or publishers you know take a look at what your exclusions or block lists are on things you know not all political advertising is bad and can be a little boost if things have been tough so that's something we've been talking to folks about of really making sure that you've got your pipes nice and clean and open to the things that you are okay with and working through that. So I guess that's my outlook for next year is probably pretty stable. Yeah. I mean, it, it could just be like a, you can maybe characterize it as maybe it's going to be a year of just a little bit of turbulence, but then, yeah. you know, 2025 more clear sailing, clear skies. Uh, hopefully maybe there's some interest rates cuts in, uh, mm-hmm. In, in 2024 and maybe that also kind of stimulates things to your point like yeah you never know what could happen and uh of course and that uh i mean the there was i forget which group published it but their outlook for next year was they still expect advertising to grow five-ish percent so there is a rising tide hopefully raising all boats and i do rely on that digital advertising is not getting smaller it's expanding formats it's you know everywhere population's growing so there is that tailwind that we always have which is nice Um, This has been fantastic. I am going to close with the question that I ask every guest on this fine podcast, which is, what is a piece of advice the current version of yourself would give to a younger version of yourself? So this is not, uh, I mean, this is probably very like cliche advice, uh, but it would definitely be don't neglect your health. Um, So as, as important as businesses and work and, you know, being productive and all of that, um, don't do it at the cost of your health and, uh, don't neglect your health. I think that is tremendous advice. Uh, as someone who had a spinal fusion surgery three weeks ago, there was some circumstances to that, but take care of yourself. You've only got one body and, uh, make sure you do it. And the clarity you will have when you're in a better physical state, because it helps your mental state and all of those things are very, very related. So absolutely. And, and we work at computers, right? Like we work in front of computers and uh, I think I felt uh, a certain amount of invincibility for a long time that, mm-hmm. you know, it's working in front of a computer, how, how hard could it be? And I've never <laughs> yeah. had any issues, but now I'm like wearing glasses and now I got back, you know, back pain. And, yeah. uh, and now it's like, <laughs> it's, it, it sounds soft, but like working in front of a computer is, is actually like pretty, pretty harsh on the body. Yeah interestingly, Steve Nash, the NBA legend, started this company called Block that is working on sort of the five different pillars of your health span, not your lifespan, but I had the chance to meet him recently. And he was talking very specifically about that, the computer side and how much it wears on your body. And they've built some interesting things around that to 
these little eight minute exercises to help, you know, people get up from the computer and get moving and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah we've got, we've got to start training like athletes now. That's true. <laughs> Hardcore athletes here in ad tech. We are <laughs> awesome. I thought your advice to your younger self was going to be buy more Toyotas. You started your Toyota <laughs> forum. Was that, was that because you were a, an owner or you just saw a good market there? <laughs> no, no. I, 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 I had a Camry. Um, and I, I know it sounds like pretty pathetic, but I joined a, a Toronto Camry club. And, uh, and so I met up with like a bunch of other dudes that had Camrys and then they wanted to create a website. And I was like, let's just broaden the scope a little bit. Let's think, let's think a little bit bigger, let's make it, let's make it for all Toyota owners and call it something like Toyota nation. And so, uh, that, that was kind of the start of it. And, uh, yeah, kind of just grew organically from there. That's awesome, man. Well, Hey, thank you so much for the time today. Really appreciate this. A great recap on the year and a, a lot of the most, uh, talked about items in the industry. So thank you so much. I hope you have a fantastic holiday. Thanks. You too. Thank you again to Radco for chatting with us and to our listeners, whether you're joining us for the first time or been with us throughout the entire year, we really appreciate you tuning in. If you have a spare moment, please check us out on Google Play, iTunes, or your listening platform of choice. Please leave us a review and subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode. For feedback or suggestions for guests, you can reach us at podcast at freestar.com. Special thanks to Matt Hanline for our music and to Caroline Romano for helping with editing, production, and making sure people know this podcast exists. Happy holidays. Thank you.